That's a, that's a great, great, great song. Um, get set up here in a minute. Make sure I have my, my stuff ready. Um, we are uh, in a series called Priest Today. It's from Leviticus, and this is part two. And uh, the way I, I thought we'd start this morning is I found a website. I don't remember when I found this. I just remember I found it. And um, it's a website where a group of guys are mimicking lady tutorials on how to put on makeup, okay? So, so they've, they've watched these makeup videos of ladies doing, you know, their makeup and this, and, and so they've did it. So there's videos involved in this, but I'm not going to show you a video. I just want to show you a couple of pictures from those videos, okay? So, so here's the first picture. This is a guy. He's got some stuff. I don't even know what this stuff is because obviously... I don't use it. So he's putting on this stuff, and then you have this picture, and then you have the final product. <laughs> so here's another one. Here's another one. Here's this guy. And now I want you to notice his shoulders, like his shoulders are, yeah. And then, and then now down here, you have this one. He, he has a beard now. And then his final product is this. So absolutely incredible. So um, women put on makeup. They want to look better. They want to look their best. They want to look attractive, right? Guys don't do this. <laughs> Guys don't do this. What we do is, is we, we do beards, right? We put beards around us to make ourselves look better, right? Right, Tate? Right? I mean, we look in the mirror and we're like, hey, I need to do something about this part of my body. And, and, and you know, we put beards on. Um, currently in our society, there are masks that be used to cover up their, you know, whatever, I guess. Oh, come on. We, we can have a little fun with that, right? But, but beards generally. And what you often see is, is someone really grows one very long, so it detracts from, from this up here, Right? Right, Nathan? Yeah. So, so it, it detracts from this up here. For instance, um, Seth has, has grown a beard to do that. He's not in the room right now, but he's, yeah, he is. He's right back there. He's, he's grown a beard, so he's trying to keep Heather, okay? Um, Jonathan grew one so he could get a girlfriend, and it worked, right, Hannah? So, so we have this thing going on because guys just don't do that, but nonetheless, makeover. So we, we take something that, that needs some work on it, and, and we do a little makeover on it to make it look better. So hold on to that. Um, I want to talk about Hebrews chapter 12. I mean, 8, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 8, and this is the verse. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Now, I've told you a couple of times that in Scripture, Hebrews is um, the commentary for Leviticus. And so this is part of that commentary. So they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. So everything that you have going on in Leviticus is actually a picture of something to come. Does it take care of their sins? Absolutely, it, it does, temporarily. It takes care of their sins. Their actual rituals and things they shouldn't do, they did those in that time period, correct. But beyond that, it's a shadow of heavenly things and things to come. And this continues by saying, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, 
In other words, in the wilderness, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. This basically says that details matter. I'm giving you the details for the tabernacle and it matters down to the very minute details that you actually do these in order to create this tabernacle. So the details matter. The next thing I want you to keep in mind before we jump into the text is this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the first part of it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This means that today, if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a believer priest. You're a priest of God, everybody in this room, if you receive Jesus as your Savior. And that is quite the position to hold. In fact, it's a very special position that you and I hold. It cost someone a lot in order for us to obtain that position. And it was through the death of our Savior and his resurrection that we are now priests. And it's a pretty, pretty, uh, a remarkable honor to be called that by God and to be placed in that position. So with that in mind, turn your Bible to Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading with verse 1. Leviticus chapter 8, verse 1. And here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him. Now immediately I pause with this. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, go get Aaron and his sons. And the first question that I have is why Aaron? Why would you choose Aaron? Because he's Moses' brother? No, that can't be it. Has to be something else. But why in the world would you choose Aaron? Now, you might be looking at me thinking, well, why wouldn't he choose Aaron? Well, well, let me just give you his resume, okay? Exodus chapter 32, verse 25 says, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that who? Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. Aaron let the children of Israel get out of control. Now, I want you to try that as a manager, you're managing something and all your employees are just absolutely out of control. Would the manager be able to keep his job? No, he will not be able to keep his job. If you go to any position that people would have, if they do not keep control, let's say a school teacher doesn't keep control of her classroom, how long, unless she has tenure, will she be able to keep that position? I wouldn't say anything with that. I'm just I know some of you are thinking that, so I'm just going to throw it out there, okay? How long do you think she's going to be able to keep her position or that school system is going to move her out of the classroom into something else because the kids are absolutely out of control? They're, they're jumping off the walls and she can't gain control. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have a teacher like that, right? Right? Right, Sarah? You would lose your job if you didn't keep those kids, like, under control, right? And so, so here's Aaron and... And the people are out of control. He's not controlling the people. He's just not doing his job. So here's the next one. Exodus 32, um, verse 35 says, And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. 
So here is a guy that not only are the people out of control, but now because of his lack of leadership, there is a plague with the children of Israel. People are dying because of his leadership. This calf that he made, right? He's sitting here and and Moses is up on the mountain getting Leviticus and getting Exodus and all this stuff that we're reading about right now. He's gone for a while, maybe a couple weeks. And the people are like, hey, Moses gone. You're the leader here, and here's what we want. We need a God that we can look at. So can you make us a God like the ones in Egypt? And Aaron, instead of saying, wait a minute, we just heard the Ten Commandments. Instead of doing that, what he did was he said, okay, bring me your gold, bring me your silver, silver, and I will form for you a God that you can worship. And so he formed this calf. Aaron made an idol. Okay, Aaron made an idol and he led the people to worship that idol. This disobeys the first three commandments. Absolutely, every one of them, guilty, 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 guilty. And God knew it and whew, it, was, it, was just, it was just not, not a good, good thing, right? I mean, we're gonna, okay, so I'm gonna get back to, we're gonna make, Aaron, what? You're calling Aaron to come to the front of the temple? Why have you chosen Aaron? Here's the next verse. 32, 22 says, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Um, Aaron, it's not my fault. In fact, if you read this passage, Aaron's going to tell him, well, I just threw the stuff into water and it just came out as a calf. So he's covering himself up, right? I mean, this is bad. Now he's not the thing. And he's he's sympathizing with Moses who, who often got angry at the children of Israel. He said, you know, these people, you just, you just can't control them. And Moses is thinking, well, I still stood for what God wanted me to stand for, right? So he's passing blame on to the people. So now at the beginning of, of this tent, we're calling Aaron. I mean, these are people that get voted into office. Come on, that was good, right? People that you think can't do the job. If you're a Democrat, you think the same way. If you're a Republican, you think the same way. If the other party gets in, you think, wow, what an idiot in office. There's, there's never been like a, a Democrat that said, man, that's a great Republican. There's never been a Republican that said, wow, that's a great Democrat because they're on two separate teams. Are you tracking with me? So why would you, why would you put this guy in charge? This is God telling Moses to get Aaron to put him in charge. And in Exodus 40, it says this, which attaches to Leviticus 8, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. And not only do I want you to bring them to the front of the uh, the building and, and wash them with water and start to establish them at priests. This is what I also want you to do. Look at verse three. It says, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. In other words, we're going to do this right out in the open. The idiot that did all this in the past, we are now going to put him in a high position in God's house to run God's house. And we're not going to be 
um, secretive about it. We are going to let all the children of Israel, the children of Israel that saw the calf, the children of Israel that drank the bitter water as a judgment, the children of Israel that experienced the plague, the children of Israel that went through all this punishment, they are now in front of the tent watching Aaron, the failed leader, get anointed as priest. Why in the world would God call Aaron to be the priest in his tabernacle? And I'll tell you why. He did it because the tabernacle is about redemption. It is about putting the world back together. It is about another chance to connect with God. It is grace in motion. It is mercy in motion. And through the mercy and grace of God, he picked up an idiot and made him priest and chose him to be priest. And let me tell you something else. God has done that in our time. This room, including me, is filled with idiots. And God chose every single one of us to be a priest of his. Why would he choose you to be a priest? Why would he choose me to be a priest? Has God lost his mind? No, because he's gracious and merciful to sinners, and he restores. If you wanna know the shadow of the tabernacle, one of the shadows is this. I am here. This is where heaven touches earth, and I want everybody in the world to be a part of it. And they're not just gonna be a part, they're going to be priests of mine and representatives of me. And man, that is an awesome truth. Man, it's an awesome truth. So why Aaron? Well, because the whole picture of the temple is restoration. And if Aaron can make it to be the high priest, all of us can also make it because it's under the power of God. Mm. What a God we serve. So Leviticus chapter eight will continue. Verse two, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. We saw that in, in Exodus chapter 40. He washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. I want you to know that in Exodus, after Exodus 32, the very next chapters are about people making these clothes for Aaron. So he did this calf thing, and even after it was over, God continued to go in the direction that he wanted to go and the plans that he wanted to, 
to plant. And so he made these clothes, and these clothes were were very um, very detailed. It, it's very intrinsic. All the all these details of these clothing, and he just kept it going. Right? You and I currently, as priests, are being transformed. But more than that, if there is a more than that, is Jesus is in heaven not only creating a place for me, but I have a heavenly garment I'm going to put on one day. And he's been making it for 2,000 years. So as I go along and when I fall, because I'm his child, there's something I'm going to put on to be in his presence one day. It's a holy garment that he's making and every detail is perfect. Isn't that great? So in my bad times, he's still making that garment. And in the good times, he's still making that garment because he's expecting me to make it to heaven. The reason he can expect me to make it to heaven is because of his blood and the resurrection. Man, it's good stuff. So verse, verse eight, and he placed the breastplate on him and in the breastplate, he put uh, the Urim and... I can still not say that. I couldn't say it last week, but I could, I mean, last time. But anyway, we're going to skip over that just like I did the last time. And he set the turban on his head and on the turban in front, he set the gold plate and the holy crown as the Lord commanded Moses. So he's dressing him and he's getting him to look a certain way. So with that in mind, I would like uh, Nate McCartney to come up uh, to the to the platform, if you will. And um, Mr. McCartney... Uh, was a um, former military man in the army, right? In the army. And to kind of give you a perspective of the army um, and everything like that, at least from one of my uh, Marine buddies, uh, here's a picture. U.S. military had 100% power. I know it's grainy. I had to steal this off his Facebook page. And, and, and then the next one is this. U.S. military at 99.9% power. Okay, if you're in the military, you would think that's funny. They always have a rivalry. We really respect all of them, but nonetheless, that's pretty funny. All right, back to the other screen, great. So um, you uh, joined the Army, and, and you, you came into boot camp. And when you came into boot camp, what, what happened? Because a lot of us haven't been through boot camp, so what happened in boot camp? So I told Philip earlier this week when he first asked me this question, I said, the first thing you learn is to shut up. <laughs> you just don't say a word unless you're spoken to because you find out why real quickly. But um, upon arriving, you know, we toss all our junk out of the bus and all that kind of stuff. And they take you, after you've thrown your stuff in the, in the barracks somewhere, they get you in this big line and they take you through to where you get your hair cut that I still have today. <laughs> um, they give you your uniforms, you know, your, your top, your pants, your socks, your boots, all that kind of stuff, and they teach you how to wear the uniform. It sounds weird that you have to be taught how to wear something, but there's a certain way that you have to wear this in, in the military to be uniform with everyone else. So, so you need to look like everybody else. You need to look like a, a soldier is what you need to look like. Right. Yeah, so when you go into your barracks, what, what else happens? I mean, do they, do they let you just get up and not make your bed? I mean, what, what happens? Everything is regimented. Um, I mean, even how you make your bunk, how you hang your clothes in your wall locker, 
how your socks are rolled up. You can't fold them. They're rolled up in, your, in the drawer. Like everything has to be just so. Under the bunks, you have to line your boots and your shoes up with the laces tucked in. I mean, everything has to be completely uniform. Right. So what, what happens is, let's say you, you wake up and you, you have one, like, like you put your boots at the end of your bed. I'm just assuming this because I've seen movies. You put your boots at the end of the bed and one of them's like this instead of straight like the other one. What? The boots are probably going to wind up outside. Okay. Okay. Or on the roof or wherever the drill sergeant decides to throw them. Oh, great. So what happens if like your bed is a little bit out of whack? Not much, but just maybe a little corner out of, out of whack. What if, happens? If it's out at all, uh, my experience was my drill sergeant grabbed it and threw it across the bed. And then, of course, you went after it and got it and put it back on the bed? Once I was given permission to go and get it, yes, <laughs> yeah. I went and got it and put it yeah. back on well, good. So once, once you went through boot camp and you came out, would you say that you were a different person? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't dress the same way and all those sorts of things, but it was definite, definitely a change in discipline, uh, a recognition for why discipline is there. Um, you know, just you, you think differently about the way you go about your daily activities. Yeah. So here in the scripture, we have, um, we have Aaron getting priestly robes. And then we have his son in, sons in verse 13 also getting priestly garments. And they are actually going to stay in the temple area for seven days. They won't be able to leave it for seven days. So within that, God is saying, I have chosen you to be a priest, and now I want you to look like it. In fact, I want you to look like something that's going to be foreshadowed in the future. And so for you and I, when we become believer priests, we have the same sort of thing that should have gone on. There should have been some sort of boot camp, Christian boot camp, where we learned how to follow Jesus and the changes that needed to be made so that once we learn those changes, when we go back out into the world, we look more like our high priest, which is Jesus Christ. So that is the point, I think, of Leviticus chapter 8, at least this portion of Leviticus chapter 8. Let's give him a hand for being up here. Thank you. All right. So, make us look like a soldier. Um, Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 27. So we are clothed with Jesus. Now, um, look at verses 10 through 12 of chapter 8. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him and consecrated him. This means that Moses put the oil on everything that's in the tabernacle, and once he was done, he also poured the oil onto Aaron's head. That means that Aaron is an extension of God's presence that's behind him. So everything in the tabernacle represents God in some way, and now Aaron 
has the privilege of, reckon, of being a representative of God in his life. You and I are also representatives of God in this world. So let's unpack that just a little bit further than just that. Um, verse three says, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's at the very front. And if you turn over to Leviticus chapter eight, verse 33, it says, and you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the seven, until the days of your ordination are completed for it will take seven days to ordain you, ordain you. So this passage begins with the ordination of Aaron being brought to the temple at the entrance of the tent of meeting. It goes for, for a while, and in verse 33, it ends with Aaron and his sons being placed at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And for seven days, they were going to be there. Now, there was, there was food provided through the offering for them to eat. There was stuff provided for them. So they stayed right there at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that their ordination would be complete in seven days. I think that at the end of the seven-day period of time, staying that close to God's presence, those men walked out of the temple on the eighth day, different people, totally different people because they had stayed in the presence of God. I have, have some theological issues with Lent. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there. There's just some, some things that I, that I don't like about it, but there is something that I do like about it, this Lent thing. And what I do like about it is the fact that people give up stuff in order to focus on God. One of the issues I have with it, and I'm not going to un unlist list all of those, but one of the issues I have with it is they give up something for just a short amount of time, and then after Lent is over, they go back to whatever that is that they gave up, okay? Here, <laughs> what we're supposed to do is give up stuff in order to be more like the priest that we're supposed to be. So let's say, for instance, that you're a Christian and you have begun to dabble over here in some stuff that you're not supposed to dabble in, and you know it. You know that it's against Scripture, and you're just not supposed to be doing this stuff. Once you catch yourself in this arena, it's time to take a lit time out. Time out. I'm going to quit doing this. But instead of having a date where you can go back to it, you don't. You leave it. And you seclude yourself with God and his word and praise music and praying so that you can get your mind back to where it needs to be so that you can be a representative for Jesus as a priest and then go back out into the world. Sometimes Christians just need a break from the world. We start to look more like the world than we look like Jesus, than we look like a priesthood, than we look like one of his people. And sometimes we just need to take time to be alone with him and seclude ourselves and just insaturate our minds with him and then go back out into the world. This thing begins at the entrance of the tent of meeting and ends at the entrance of the tent of meeting. In other words, the borderline between heaven and earth is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. These priests walk, walk, cross over and they have to have sacrifices to get themselves ready and holy enough to do the work of the Lord 
while they're living in his presence there. That is the picture that you see. So the tabernacle is the borderline between heaven and earth. For you and me, we are also tabernacles and priests. Every step that you take is the borderline between heaven and earth. You represent God's presence in this world. You represent where God has chosen to have his presence in the world, where heaven has touched down, where there is a borderline. And it's up to you and I to go out to the world and invite people to cross over the border. Come on, that's our job. And we can't have people, we can't, we can't get people to cross over the line into the border where heaven meets earth if we are not living like we're supposed to. So everywhere we go, we live like priests. We have mercy, we have grace, we have love. We proclaim what is right and what is wrong according to scripture, not according to the way that we feel. That is our job. That is what we do. And the more that we dig into scripture and the more that we get closer to Christ and the more that we try to live this way as a point, a borderline between heaven and earth, the more that we can witness effectively, not only with our words, but with the way that we act. See, a lot of people proclaim that they're Christians, but they don't live that way. There's a lot of people that that say that they're believers, but they do not act like believer priests because they're too busy holding on to this stuff that they really should let go of. I believe that Lent should be 365 days a year. And once in a while, 366. Let's just say, just off the top of my head, every four years, let's do that, okay? But there's stuff that we decide to leave and and we never go back to it. There's not an end date. And we become the appropriate priest for God and the borderline between heaven and earth and inviting people over. That is our job. See, ladies and gentlemen, the world outside is falling apart. It's falling apart. There's a lack of attention to detail. And you might think that While it looks like that they have a lot of details, they do, but none of it's organized. Have you listened to what people are saying? Even within one person, a person can change what they're saying from day to day, and nobody seems to care because the world outside is falling apart. The place that God says should not fall apart is located in this room right here with you and me. And the reason that we don't fall apart is because we have scripture that doesn't change. The rules haven't changed from 3,000, 4,000 years ago to now. They haven't changed. You do not murder. You do not slander. You do not gossip. You love. You help. You proclaim the message of salvation. You live as a priest in a borderline saying, come over here to where this is organized and this is together because the world out here isn't together. It is a kingdom of God. It is a church and there is a structure for it and every detail matters. And this is the place where stuff should be coming together and not breaking apart. Are are you tracking? We 
are the ones that have the answer. We are the ones that have the victory, and we live that way. The world outside is falling apart, but we shouldn't. So we have to make sure that the world doesn't enter into the church. That's what we have to make sure of. Now, if you're, if you're visiting with us today, there is not, I'm about to say some things. Don't, don't think there's some type of conspiracy here. There's no type of conspiracy. There's nothing. I'm just preaching, okay? That, that's it. And it's kind of nice to have that freedom to do this, okay? So I want to describe to you what the world is when it comes into the church. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you what it's not. It is not instruments coming into the church, that the world has come into the church. It is not a screen that shows words on the screen. That is not the world coming into the church. If this is the world coming into the church, then we also need to get rid of the AC system, the heating system, come on, the carpet, those nice pews that you're sitting in. I don't know if you know this or not, but when the children of Israel came to the tent of meeting, they stood the whole time. It's hard for us, I'm just saying, it's hard for us to stand for three songs, okay? I'm not making fun of anybody, I'm just giving you something, right? And so none of this stuff is the world coming into the church. Let me tell you when the world comes into the church. The world comes into the church when the people go for what they want instead of what God wants, when the people desire a certain style of music, when the people decide they, they desire a certain Bible translation, when they desire and they push for it and they push for it and they push for it. You see, there's a lot of golden calves in churches. There's a lot of golden calves in churches and people think the church is about what they want and if they don't get what they want, they can't, I, I just can't connect to the spirit if we don't see this type of music. Oh, give me a break. Just give me a break. You need to get out of the country. You need to go somewhere to a church like in Zambia or in India and listen to those people sing. Let me tell you, the style of music in India drives me crazy. They do these half tones that isn't American. Like we have full tone. I mean, we have half steps, but they, they like have... Steps in between those steps. It is just, for an American, you're just, you know? And it's not the spirit that's making you do it. It's the music. But these people, they're reaching their hands up and they're praising God. And it's a beautiful thing. Music, I took me, if, if he would just, if they would just, oh, give me a break. If it was up to us to connect with God, we would never connect with him. It is God that set up the tabernacle. It is God that gave the way for you to come to the tabernacle. It is God that said, if you want to meet me, this is the way that you meet me. And in our day and age, it's, hey, if you want to meet me where heaven meets earth, this is what you do. You ask forgiveness from your sins. You ask my son to be your savior and I will save you from your sins and make you a believer, believer priest and you will be with me for eternity. You will be in my presence. It is nothing that you do. It's everything that he has done. And we aren't over here saying, well, I want this, I want this. No, no, no. The other question to make sure that we all stay organized and the way God wants us is this. What does God want? What is he saying 
to us? What has he said about all of this? And this is where we camp out and we do not move. God set up a church, not Burger King. Come on. You cannot have it the way you want it because every time you get what you want, the world moves into your life and into the church. And then there's division, and then we fall apart, and we're just like the world outside. But when you keep God as a central part, and we say, yes, sir, we are your soldiers, your priests, we're on your team, we're going to act like you want us to, that is the moment that the church is the place that's organized and is together and can minister to a world that's fallen apart. Isn't that great? It's just a great picture. I am thankful that we are a church that centers everything around Jesus. Everything. Everything around Jesus. Just, it's just a blessing. It's a blessing. And it makes a difference in this room when you come. It makes a difference. So, let's do this. I want you to look at um, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 26. It says this. One day, I'm going to learn to slow down when I get excited so that I can speak, like, clearly. One day, I'm going to learn that. It might be when I get to heaven, but I won't be preaching then. I'll let Jesus do that. Okay, verse 26, it says this. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat on the right thigh. Now I want you to look at verse 31. It says this, And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Bowl the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. So the first thing I want you to understand is that there's a basket of unleavened bread, and they're taking from it. And as they're living here seven days, they're taking this bread, according to Leviticus, and they're breaking it apart, and they're putting part of it on the altar. So the altar is here. The tabernacle portion is here where God resides. They're in between. They're living in this space. They're putting that on there. It's going to burn up, but they're breaking the bread and they're eating it because they need something to eat. They're also eating some of the fat and some of the animals, but they have this unleavened bread that they're breaking. Now, a part of this whole process, if you look in um, Exodus, um, you will find out that there's this thing called a drink offering. So the drink offering is basically you take a sip out of this cup and then you take the liquid that's inside and you pour it on the ground. It's poured out. So, so you sip part of it to identify with it and then you pour it out on the ground. This bread that is broken that's placed on, on the sacrificial altar is also a connection. That bread is connected to this sacrifice. That bread is broken, it's given, and eaten. So you have eating, connection with the, the sacrifice, and you have this cup that you drink and then you pour out. In that cup is actually wine, okay? So with that in mind, 
Turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Verse 14, it says this, And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. These priests were breaking bread and eating it and had no clue what it represented. They thought that their hunger was just being satisfied. So they ate this bread and drank this cup and all the while they're identifying with the death of Jesus Christ. His body being broken, his blood being poured out for you. You see, God had a plan And his plan was for Jesus to come and shed his blood and for his body to be beaten for you and for me. He didn't just just one day say, oh, uh, Jesus, you know, we haven't done anything in a while. I know we're keeping the stuff going in outer space and the people breathed it, it oxygenated the world and there's no greenhouse gases yet, so we don't have to worry about that. So uh, is there anything that we could do for these people? And then Jesus said, well, I don't know. And then the Holy Spirit that fills the whole thing says, well, why don't we just send Jesus down there and uh, do something new? Let's put him on a cross and, and kind of make this thing happen. They didn't do that. When God made the tabernacle, he had a plan. And his plan was for you and for me. And when they're breaking the bread and eating it, they had no clue what they were doing, but they did it because God told them to. And then later we find out the real reason so that we remember the death of our Savior. There are things in Scripture that I still do not understand why we should do them. Don't you have those things? Like, like why can't we? Why shouldn't we? What does this mean? When I proclaim this particular truth, yeah, I'm, I'm given an application here, but isn't there something more? This is, these are thoughts that I have. Isn't there something more than just this? I mean, is, is there something more? But I know it needs to be proclaimed. Why are these little details so important? I'll tell you. Because there's some things that we do that we don't understand, and we're not going to understand until we get into glory. For instance, phone call happens. Fighting cancer thought it was gone. All of a sudden, the doctor tells us, you got to have three months of chemo. Wait, wait, wait a minute. 
So what do you do? You go back to the Bible and you say, well, I need to have faith that God knows what he's doing because I do not know what he is doing. And so as hard as that information is to to learn, you go back to the fact, well, this is something God has in front of me and I wish it wasn't in front of me, but there must be something he is doing through it. You, you, you have another thing of bad news and that bad news comes and you're like, oh my goodness, I've got to endure that again? Why? Why am I having to endure that? Well, you're a believer, believer priest and God is working through you. That means that he has a purpose in your life. You are where heaven touches down to earth. So that bad time that you're going through must be something that he's going to use for his honor and glory. It is something he's going to eat. But I don't understand why I'm breaking the bread. I thought it was just for my hunger. No, it's not just for your hunger. There's something bigger going on. And when you and I really live out this thing called priesthood, we will think we are doing certain things in the world, but be far off from the mark because God has a greater plan and purpose for making you and I, the idiots, believer priest. So live like one. Live like one. That is what he is calling you to do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day.